As we turn our thoughts to 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, our text today, uh, please bear with me as I remind us of the Spirit-inspired writer of these words, uh, who it is that the Holy Spirit filled in a special way with his Spirit to write these words, uh, first to congregations in what we now know today as the vicinity of, of uh, Western Turkey. Uh, but to us today, uh, they come down. They're written, of course, by the Apostle John. Remember John and his uh, brother James, sons of Zebedee, family fishing business, uh, day laborers, and uh, small businessmen, I suppose we could call them, uh, until a craftsman turned itinerant preacher called them to follow him and they came to recognize uh, that one as the Christ the Messiah and their lives were changed well John uh, became a leader in the church as did James James you may remember uh, John's brother was the first of the apostles executed for his faith so uh, very early on in his ministry, he died. John had a long ministry, however. And uh, history tells us that he left Jerusalem before the siege and fall of that city to the Romans. And he wound up in the major city uh, of Ephesus and had what appears to have been an extended ministry there, not without trouble. You'll remember that he himself was arrested by the authorities and exiled to a prison island. Uh, and that's uh, how we came to have the book of Revelation penned by him. But he's writing these uh, letters to congregations in the vicinity of Ephesus, probably with backgrounds a lot similar to him, mostly blue-collar workers. Uh, I'm sure there are a number of slaves in their midst, a few wealthy people too, possibly. And we, we will remember that that uh, he's seeking to, to serve as, as a, a pastor to these churches, sort of a spiritual shepherd of their souls. And so we've seen the very pastoral tone uh, to this letter as we've been studying it. And as he approaches the end of this letter, once again, he gives us a reason for his writing. We've seen that a number of times in the letter. He might like to go back uh, later today and, and read through the, the little letter and see how many times he, he tells you, I'm writing this because, or I'm writing this in order that. Uh, we come to one of those at the close of the letter here and want to pay special attention to what he's saying to us, because we believe that, that these are not just the words of a man, a uh, former fisherman, uh, but these are the words of God as he has inspired John to write. So, 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, the Lord's word to us this day. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. Now, now, in many ways, this is a very simple message, and I don't want to complicate it with a lot of words of my own. 
but I do want us to uh, pay close attention to, to what, what John is saying to us here. I want us to sort of sit under Pastor John here for a few minutes and, and hear what he's saying to us. Uh, because obviously he considers it important, the Holy Spirit considers it important, and so we should consider it important too. Uh, he's writing these things, he says, so that we know something. You catch that word? So that you may know. So that you may have a certainty. So that you may be assured of this fact. Okay, he, he's, he's not writing this to try to generate some feeling within us. Now, now, there's nothing wrong with emotions, nothing wrong with feelings in and of themselves. God created us as emotional, feeling beings. And, and, and so there is an appropriate place for emotion and feeling in our lives. And indeed, someone without emotion without feeling, the inability to express feelings, they're to some extent laboring under a handicap. So, so I, I don't want you to get the idea that in his emphasis on knowledge here that he's, he's saying feelings are to be denied. Okay? And I hope that you have feelings as you worship. I hope there, there are hymns that we sing that, that move you. Uh, I hope there are those times when God's word comes alive to you in a very special way and actually moves you emotionally. Uh, but, but John knows our emotions change. Our emotions are not steady. So he doesn't want our Christian life to be dependent upon our emotions. Uh, that, that leads, as I know from personal experience, to real roller coaster existence as a Christian. And John doesn't want that for you. He, want, he wants you to experience a, a growing, progressing Christian life. And so he says, I want you to know this. I, I want you to grab this fully with your minds. Because if you know this, if you're assured of this, it will direct your life. It will form a foundation for your life. It will, give you, it will give you a, a hope that, that circumstances can't, can't take away. I want you to know this. And notice who it is he's speaking to. We've already noted that he's, he's writing to congregations, we think, in the vicinity of, of Ephesus. Uh, don't know a whole lot about those churches, but we know that they're composed of people like us. Uh, but they're, they're people from very different backgrounds who have have one thing in common. And he underscores that in our text, doesn't he? Who is he writing to? He's writing to you, that's plural by the way, it, he's addressing a group of people, who believe in the name of the Son of God. Remember, he's, he's made faith an important theme in this letter. So he's saying, for you, if you've placed your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, if you've seen in him, what, what John talked about earlier, the, the one who made atonement for your sins, okay? The one, who, the one who, in a very vivid and powerful way, displayed for you the love of God. If you've placed your faith in him, this is for you. You can know this. 
Now, it's true that in your Christian life, you're going to have periods of doubt. Okay? It's just as our emotions change, our confidence changes, circumstances, trying circumstances like we read about, for instance, Job going through in the Old Testament, those, those things can raise doubts in our minds. So I'm not saying that uh, somehow if you doubt that, that that's giving an indication that you're not a Christian. Okay, Christians sometimes doubt. But when you doubt, I hope you come back to this passage and you remind yourself of it. That even in your doubt, there can be a knowledge, a bedrock knowledge. You can know that you have life. And that life is eternal. That is transforming knowledge, isn't it? John wants you to know, Pastor John wants you to know, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you have life and life eternal, everlasting. You have life right now because of him. I mean, even physically, you're alive because of the grace of God. But as a believer, you have life of a higher quality than just the physical. You have life and life everlasting. You have life that transcends this earthly existence. I mean, just to think about that, you realize that changes everything, doesn't it? There's so many people in our world today think they're living just for today. They think this life is all that there is. And if this life is all there is, then all you got is this one minute. You don't have the past because you've lost that already. You don't have the future because it's not here. All you've got is this one moment. Is there, is there, any, is there any wonder that we see people living lives of, of such desperation the New England writer Thoreau said, most men live lives of quiet desperation. Sometimes it's a loud desperation. That there's a franticness in the lives of many people because they're thinking, I've only got this moment. You can know as a believer in Christ that you have life and life eternal. So your life is not confined to this moment. You have all the past that God has given you and all the future that he will give you here. And beyond that, you have eternity. That's the assurance John wants his people to have. That's what he wants you to have. If you know this, this is what gets you through those tough times. This is what gets you through when you face those difficult decisions. Because you can make them not just on the basis of what's right in front of you in this moment. You can make them in the basis of eternity. You can make your choices on the basis of a life that's lived forward all the way to eternity. I once knew a man who asked himself the question when making a decision, what would the difference that this decision makes be in a hundred years? I like that. He's communicating that, that, that forward-looking, eternal perspective, making decisions on the basis of eternity. 
John wants us to know that we have life and life eternal. And then he draws out one major, major uh, following from that, one major conclusion from that in verses uh, 14 and 15. If we really know that, we have a confidence, we have a boldness. Uh, that this word means literally a, a freedom of speaking. Okay, we, we can speak freely. You know, we're not we're, we're not guarded and, and afraid. We're we're confident. We're courageous. We're bold in our speaking. That's what he's saying. He's he's, he's talked about this idea of confidence before in his in his letter. For instance, back in chapter two, verse twenty-eight and twenty-nine. He says, now little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink in shame at his coming. He's saying, live in Christ. Okay, live in his spirit. Have his spirit living in you, and you can have confidence in his day of his appearing. In, verse, in chapter 3 of 1 John, verses 19 through 23, when he's talking about, you know, how do we deal with conviction of sin and and confessing our sin and receiving forgiveness. He says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. So he's saying, look to what God has done for you in Christ. Don't think you have to make up for your sins in yourself, because you can't. But look to what God has done for you in Christ. And then you'll be able to have confidence before him. Uh, just earlier in chapter 4 of 1 John, John wrote of having confidence in the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. He's saying if you're united with Christ by faith, then you can have confidence in the day of judgment because you will be received in the name of Christ. Not on the basis, again, of what you've done, but on the basis of what he has done. And so, so John, in our text today, says you can have a confidence toward God. And what is that confidence? It's a, it's a wonderful promise that we have here. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And to emphasize it, he sort of says it again in different words in the next verse. If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have. Notice the present tense, by the way, there. We have the requests that we have asked of him. We have, literally it says, the askings that we have asked of him. We have it. What does this mean? You can have a confidence. Well, it's clear from, from what he said before about our being united with Christ by faith, that if we're praying to Christ and united with him by faith, certainly the Father is going to hear and answer our concerns, right? The Father always answers the prayers of the Son. So if we're united with him and praying in his name, obviously, John say, he's going to hear you and answer those requests. Now, you do notice there in verse 14, it's ask anything according to his will. 
ask anything according to his will. The Father is a, is a perfect heavenly Father. And he is not going to give his children things that harm them, even if they ask them. So what is it to pray in God's will? Well, John's already, already given us a number of examples of what that means. We can see right in this letter, of course, there are many other passages of Scripture as well we could go to, but let's just look at a few verses where John tells us in this letter what is the will of God. For instance, right at the very beginning of the letter, he says that, that God's will for you is fellowship with himself and with his body. And remember, we said that word fellowship is a little weak there, it, that the word used here is, is a very strong connection. It, it, it's an identity with. It, it's, a, it's a being of one body, one mind, that he, he uh, is talking about here. So he says in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verse 3, You too may have fellowship with us, he's speaking as the pastor, to his people, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. The will of God for you is that you know intimate connection with God himself and his people. That is an awesome promise, isn't it? How much of our lives are lived in loneliness, right? In, in a culture where we've never been more connected with one another electronically and otherwise, people are lonely. And John says, God's will for you is that you have fellowship, that you have connection with other people and with God himself. Remember, Jesus prayed that in, in John 17. Go back and read John 17 sometime and notice how much importance Jesus places on that and praying that for you. He says, I want these, my disciples, to be one with us, Father. And he gives us that image of being, of being taken up, as it were, into the Trinity itself in fellowship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God's will for you is that that loneliness be broken and you know fellowship with him, a connection with him, and a connection with other people. That's his will for you. Certainly that's something we want to pray for, right? A little bit further down in the first chapter, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God's will for you, is, along with all of his people, is forgiveness for your sins. Forgiveness for your sins. Forgiveness for those things that keep plaguing you over and over again. Relief from that load of guilt that you have. That's God's will for you, John says. Beyond that, chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, listen to this part of God's will for us. We are God's children now. John's putting himself into the statement. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. We, we don't know exactly what it's going to look like when we're in the presence of God. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, 
for we shall see him as he is. We don't know exactly what that is, John says. But we know we're going to be like him at last. And he goes on to say, And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. It is God's will for you that you grow in godliness. His will for you is sanctification. His will for you is transforming you more and more from the inside out into the image of his dear son. That transformation of thinking that, that Paul talks about in Romans 12. He doesn't want you bound by the past. He doesn't want you bound by your limitations as you perceive them. His will for you is that you be growing in godliness. Growing more and more into his image. Look at verse 11 of the cha same chapter, 1 John 3. This is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Here's God's will for you. That you love one another. We live in a world that's, that's so lacking in love. Our news is almost always about hatred, isn't it? Almost every event you read about in the news is a motivation of hatred. And God's will for you, John has told us in this letter, is that you should love one another. And remember, he defined that love by saying we're to love one another as he has loved us. So this isn't just some superficial liking. No, this is a self-sacrificial love. This is a giving of oneself on behalf of another. That's God's will for us. And of course, that's going to be expressed in both word and deed. And one more that we saw just prior to our text in chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. This is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. This ties right into our text, doesn't it? God's will for you is life, and life eternal. It, it, it's everything that that phrase means. Remember Jesus said, I came... That, that my disciples, my people might have life and life in abundance. Literally, that's life to the excess. You have so much life that you've got more than you need. If we can imagine that. God's will for you is life. In a world dominated by death, his will for you is life. Isn't it sad that that so many people are obsessed with, with death in our culture. There are people who are upset today because there might be restrictions on their being able to kill unborn children. They're, they're obsessed with death. God's will for you is life. Life in abundance. Life eternal. Now, obviously, when you pray, God is pleased for you to bring to him everyday normal concerns. 
Okay, it's, it, it's certainly not wrong for you to pray for guidance, for choices you're going to make about education, or to pray for a job opening, or to, uh, to pray for healing for yourself or someone else. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be praying for those earthly concerns. I mean, Jesus himself said, pray, give us this day our daily bread, right? I mean, you can't get more of a basic earthly need than the need for food. So I'm not saying that, that our prayers are never to include earthly things, but what I am suggesting is maybe we need to make our prayers bigger. Maybe we need to, maybe we need to broaden our vision a little bit and take in some of these concerns like, like uh, John touches on in terms of God's will for you. And make those the focus of your prayer. How would it change your life to be praying daily for your growth and godliness, for your sanctification, for your, for your love for others to grow? Uh, if you're unsure about your relationship with God, then you probably can't have that confidence. So I'd encourage you to talk to me or to someone else here. If you're not sure where your relationship is, if you're not sure whether you're in that group that he's talking about here that, that believe in the name of the Son of God. But if you are in that group, if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if he has brought you to the point of seeing him, and appreciating what he has done for you and receiving what he has done for you by faith. And you can have confidence. You can be bold. You can pray big prayers. And remember John says, you answer these prayers. One day we're going to stand before him and we will be like him. And that will be so tremendous, we can't even imagine it right now. God loves to answer big prayers. Let's be a people who pray for big things, his will for us. Let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, so much of our lives are lived uh, on a very restricted basis. We're, we're so preoccupied with the present or with some incident in the past or some fear for the future, or lift our gaze to see your tremendous will for your people, that you've called us to faith and to be transformed into your likeness. Make us diligent prayers for your will in our lives and for one another as well. Help us to be diligent in praying for one another in this regard too. And even for those that that we don't know, brothers and sisters around the world, for people in our community, for others that we may have opportunity to interact with. Uh, Lord, give us that confidence in you that prays boldly in your name and for your will. And in your name we pray. Amen.